for all that is our life. It's one of the things I love about church and about you is this space we hold open for all of it, right? Joys and sorrows and pain and celebration. I have so much loved this month of digging into our universalist theology that started on the 7th of May when we celebrated our 200th anniversary. And I particularly loved what Claire did with our young people last Sunday, teaching them about universalism, some key points of universalism phrased for young people, and then the next step, asking them about their church. And one thing I loved about that was how Claire taught them, I saw them and, and um, treated them like young theologians. When she asked them about their church, one of them said something about acting with love. And then I think it was the next one, I think it was Gwen said, people are hungry. And then a minute later, she opened that up a little bit. She said, not everyone has enough money to go to shops and buy food. It's like they've been paying attention to our unison affirmation, right? Love is the doctrine of this church. The quest for truth is its sacrament, and service, like feeding people, is its prayer. Doing theology is really just simply questing after truth. I was talking to a minister friend the other day. He serves a universalist congregation up in northern Vermont. And he said something that I wrote down because I thought it was so wise. He said, neither Jesus nor the Bible centered themselves. They point to God. Which reminds me of a Buddhist saying which says, you need a finger to point at the moon, but don't mistake the finger for the moon, or you will never know the real moon. The Bible, Jesus, ways to practice, these are simply vehicles. They're like windows meant to help us open to a larger reality, a larger love. They are pointing toward something greater. They aren't supposed to be the object or the center. And this is the problem with fundamentalism that I see because it tends to turn the story, the teacher, the teaching into the object. And when this happens, then you get scripture being taken literally rather than symbolically. Jesus becomes God and the only way, right? A holy mystery can become very black and white. You're in or you're out. And I understand how this can happen and have some sympathy for it even because, you know, it's hard to talk about that fathomless mystery, isn't it? It can feel almost impossible to describe in words our deepest experiences. Words so often fail us, says the preacher. Amen to that. It's often easier to say what it is you don't believe 
than what you do, what you give your heart to. It makes me sad that so many religious folks equate faith with certainty because it is so much more than that. It's a mystery, it's an exploration, it's a process of discovery. And maybe this is just my church nerd coming out, but it is so much fun, this doing theology. The UU religious educator, Sophia Foz, said, it matters what we believe. And she spells that out. I'm just going to share a couple of them with you. She says, some beliefs are like walled gardens. They encourage exclusiveness and the feeling of being especially privileged. Other beliefs are expansive and lead the way into wider and deeper sympathies. Some beliefs are like shadows, clouding children's days with fears of unknown calamities. Other beliefs are like sunshine, blessing children with the warmth of happiness. Some beliefs are divisive, separating saved from unsaved, friends from enemies. Other beliefs are bonds in a world community where sincere differences beautify the pattern. But you know, theology is not just for children. I want to invite you to see yourself as a theologian, one who is trying to and committed to making meaning from the stuff of your own life, naming and claiming your deepest commitments, what it is you give your heart to without reservation, looking at your life and your actions, the impact you have on others, reflecting with others on how we are or how we are not moving in alignment with spirit and with our human companions. Listening to teachers who inspire us and challenge us, reflecting on our sacred stories, learning more about our theological roots. I commend all of this to you because what we believe it will shape how we act, how we envision our world and our place in it, how we imagine the holy. What is the nature of God as loving or angry or indifferent? How we, the answers we come up with, they will shape who we are becoming, right? As Rob Bell says in those words I put at the top of our order service today, we shape our God and then our God shapes us. I hope our celebration of 200 years of universalism will inspire us to more theological exploration and conversation here because it matters. Our universalist theology says we are all part of this great, great love. And like somebody coming in for a big, open-hearted, wide hug, it says nobody is beyond it. Like where I come from, y'all come. <laughs> That's what we say down there. And Rob Bell wrote this book called Love Wins. And I have to confess, I haven't finished it yet. It's in my bag. And I love the fact, in a way, it created quite a stir 
among a bunch of church folks who say that he's wrong, he's misinterpreting scripture, he's a heretic. Do you know what the root of the word heresy or heretic is? It simply means to choose. But as somebody said, the church has had a hardening of the arteries over the last few centuries where choice, choice, people get to choose for themselves and think for themselves, that's what gets labeled as heresy. Rob Bell doesn't call himself a universalist, at least not yet. And he doesn't seem as interested in theological labels as he does in asking good questions and telling interesting stories. I listened to one of his podcasts in the car the other day. He's an amazing speaker and storyteller and theologian, and he unpacks Bible stories in ways that I find just brilliant. So you may hear more about him in coming months. What he is most interested in, Rob Bell, is in promoting a spirituality and religion that is life-giving instead of being harmful, which is what we are trying to do here. And this is so necessary and needing, needed even in these days. I've been to funerals where I pay attention to the theology, and I bet you've noticed this too, where the minister or the priest will say something like, well, we know she's in heaven because she did this and this and this. These things and rituals that some churches require. I was at a service once where the minister, acknowledging that he didn't know the deceased, he said, I hope that he was right with God, that he had accepted Jesus as his savior before he died. I hope that he's in heaven. And I wonder, what does this theology say about God? That if you don't say the magic words before you die, if you don't complete the particular rituals that your faith requires, well, then God's hands are tied Sorry, the Almighty has to say, there's nothing I can do about it. Who would worship a God like that? Who would want to? An ineffectual God hemmed in by human-made rituals and regulations. To say nothing of the often angry and disappointed God that is the shadow side of this powerless one, right? God is both mad and can't do anything about helping people. I don't get it. We shape our God, and then our God shapes us. A distorted understanding of God, Rob Bell writes, clung to with white knuckles and fierce determination can leave a person outside the party without the thriving life that Jesus insists is right here. Rob Bell has a podcast about this called You Are Already at the Party. And he says that's what Jesus came to teach. We're already at the party. I can understand why some of you at this point might be shaking your head and thinking, this is a bunch of foolishness and superstition. Who needs this, you might ask. But stay with me. Theology matters and love wins.
In our tradition, we believe that people are good at heart. Yes, we screw up and we make all kinds of mistakes and messes. But we don't think we need hell or the idea of hell to keep people in line. We trust that love is a way better motivator than fear. We assert that love is stronger even than death. I have the privilege sometimes of being with people as death is drawing near. And I can tell you, in those moments, it does make a difference what you believe and what you have reflected on over the years. As Mary Oliver wrote at the end, you don't want to find yourself sighing and frightened or full of argument. Reverend Tandy Rogers is a UU minister who I feel blessed to know. She lives on the other side of the country now. And she used to work with our denominational, she used to work with our denomination helping to grow churches and to plant new ones. She has an infectious enthusiasm for our faith. Years ago, and I remember I think Serena was at this gathering down in greater Boston somewhere or Connecticut. She brought her high school cheerleader pom-poms to a regional conference we were attending. And she led us in cheers to start off the work we were doing together there. Tandy wrote a column about our faith and an experience she had that is one of the best things I've ever read. And I taped it up next to my desk and it's been there for years. This feels a little like cheating, but I'm gonna share that with you now in her words. It's the whole rest of this sermon, so that's the cheating part. It's what our daughter says in a big paper using block quotes, but it's better than anything I had for you today. So she tells a story of sitting on a plane next to two fundamentalist evangelical men and what happened. And it's a little long, so I'll tell you when, it's at, when it ends, but all this I, this is all Tandy, okay? She's sitting on the plane, and here we go. I strained my ears to hear what they were saying. The older man seemed to be in charge, and the younger one deferred to him. The elder quoted scripture and talked a lot about saving people. Their whole mission is converting people to Christianity so they may be saved and get into heaven. I wanted to interrupt, jump in with all the questions I had for them. For a split second, a voice in my head warned me, stop, foreign land, don't go there, possibilities for hostility. What are you going to do once they find out you're a Unitarian Universalist? But the words burst out of my mouth. I couldn't help but overhearing. Do you plant congregations? Do you, or do you just go to church planting that conference in this city? I wanted to go so badly, but I had other work to do. I plant congregations for my denomination. I'd love to hear more about what you learned. The younger man asked, which denomination are you? I replied, Unitarian Universalist. The younger man looked blank. The older man grinned like he had something on me. My heart fluttered a bit. Jason, you've never heard of Unitarian Universalists? They're the ones with all the ethics and none of the doctrine. 
they do good without believing in hell. My breathing stopped. Jason looked at me as if he'd just discovered I was a unicorn. (laughs) You don't believe in hell? The older man smiled to himself as he put headphones over his ears and settled in. I shook my head, and before I could get a word out, the young man asked me if I believed in Jesus. Jesus the Christ or Jesus the radical, fierce, loving rabbi? I love Jesus the rabbi and consider him to be one of my greatest teachers, but I don't have any belief or use for the Christ part. No offense. He still looked at me like I was a unicorn. But how do you reconcile John 14, 6? He asked. Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. I lit up. I know this chapter, and I love it. At the Jesuit seminary I attended, I spent a lot of time meditating on it with my Christian cousins in faith. I said, I can reconcile it by the four verses just prior to that. In my, in my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. There are many mansions for so many expressions of the spirit of life and Yahweh and Allah and ultimate source and most awesome goodness and fierce love and holy yes. We stared into each other's eyes for a long time. I had a melting experience. I broke the silence by asking him about his conversion story. Everyone has a story of some epiphany or conversion of some sort. These fascinate me. Over the course of about an hour, Jason told me his tale of parents who weren't enough, his own drug abuse and domestic violence and giving up, and how someone invited him to church. The church's very clear doctrine held his despair and gave him direction and hope. It was a moving and beautiful story. We each had tears in our eyes throughout his telling. He asked if Unitarian Universalists believe in conversion. Some do, I replied. I'm one. I was converted. As a queer, I felt early on that my sexuality was very tied to God. But that's not what my church of origin was teaching. And the Unitarian Universalist took all of me and saw me as whole, even in my brokenness, as holy, even at my base self, and precious, even when I felt unlovable. Jason nodded, teary eyes again. Mutual understanding of the possibilities and blessing of religious communities. He asked if I was a minister, and I nodded. Jason wanted to pray with me right there on the spot. So yes, at 30,000 feet above the earth, I led a prayer holding hands with someone I would usually think hates me and what I stand for, except for that day. 
As we were leaving the plane, I heard the older man ask Jason if he had saved me. Nah, Jason said, she was already saved. Thank you, dear Tandy Rogers, for that beautiful testimony and story. And the reminder that some of the people that we mistrust and dislike because they are so different from us, different faiths, there is humanity and goodness and giftedness in them too. My spiritual companions, our beautiful universalist theology asserts boldly that we are, all of us, already saved. That the spirit which animates the universe is a spirit of love so wide that no one is beyond it. No one is beyond it. And that it is so compelling that in the end, no one will even want to resist it. This is another sermon, but one of our old guy universalists preached a sermon called Dragged Kicking and Screaming into Heaven <laughs> about not being able to resist God's love. We affirm that when all is said and done, love wins. And so doesn't this theology invite and compel us to take our love out into the world and share it? To love our neighbors, of course, and the strangers that we meet. To love the hell right out of this world. To imagine, help build the world that we dream of and hope for. Let us be ever grateful for our simple faith and let us live it gladly and gratefully now and always. Amen. And let's lift our voices and sing. It's hymn number 10, Immortal Love. <laughs>